All right. Well, today we're continuing with our series, Sent, Discovering the Mission and Message of Jesus. And if I haven't met you, I'm Cody, um, and the pastor here. And uh, our series, what we're doing is we're discovering that we're God's sent people. So there's a verse. Jesus said this in John 20, verse 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So, so you and I, as followers of Jesus, are God's sent people, okay? Uh, it's important for us to remember that at church, like when we come together like this, this, this is the locker room, okay? And Jesus is the coach. And so he, when we come together like this, this is, this is where we get instruction. This is where we learn to love each other. This is where we change. This is where we confess sin. This is where we, we go further in our relationship. But then the playing field is out there. Uh, John Wimber, who helped establish the Vineyard Association of Churches, used to say, you know, the meat's on the street. So you've hear, maybe heard like, well, the meat of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or the, the meat of the word or, or, you know, meat for the mature, that sort of thing. He was saying that it, maturity is not how well you do church, but maturity is, is how you live out your life out there on the street, in the neighborhood, in your home. That's what a mature follower of Jesus is. And I was thinking about the weather today, and, and I've heard a million different stories of what the weather is like uh, here in Kansas, Missouri area. You know, it snows, it doesn't snow, it hasn't snowed for 10 years, it, it snowed big last year, all sorts of stuff. And so we're, we're so enthralled to find out what happens. But when we, when we moved to Colorado from California, uh, no joke, I had driven in weather before, but I was kind of like, how do I drive in snow? And, and I was just saying it, people said, follow the path. You know, just follow the, follow the car in front of you. Not too close, though. And just, just follow the, the paths because there was real thick snow. The second Sunday at the church we were pastoring, uh, it, we actually didn't have church. It, there was a blizzard that shut down the city. Uh, and the, the, the elders of the church, I, I was the new guy from California, so I wanted to make sure they knew I could handle stuff. So I called them. I said, so we're doing this, right? And they said, no, no, it's, it, we're shutting down everything. Um, but so I had to learn things like that. Um, we need that in this life as well. We need to have paths to follow. Uh, that's why it's important that we have mentors and teachers and, uh, and leaders in our life that help us have paths to follow. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, there was a bully at our school. His name was Jason. And, and uh, Jason must have seen a big target on me somewhere. I didn't know where it was, but uh, pretty much every day, uh, I was a target for Jason. I, I would change my course throughout the school to try to, you know, I kind of knew where his classes were, and, my, and I was just trying not to be seen. And then it, Jason walked the same way home as I did, and, and I just I couldn't get away from Jason. And uh, it was pretty disturbing uh, for me. You know, my, my parents had just gotten divorced, and, and now I got Jason uh, in my life. And uh, my dad caught wind of this, and so he decided that he would take me to this gym locally and uh, I would learn some martial arts. And so uh, he took me to learn uh, jujitsu at this class. And uh, I had these daydreams, yes, this is it. I'm going to learn how to fight and I'm going to learn how to at least protect myself and something, right? And everything's going to be different. And uh, I had these dreams of the, the, the sensei or the teacher would be this, I mean, he's just the most fit person you've ever seen, just, you know, six foot eight tall and just perfect physique and everything. And I walked in the first time and, and they're like, I'm like, where's the teacher? They're like, over there. I'm like, where? Because all that I saw was this balding, middle-aged guy with a very impressive beer gut. And, and, and that was my sensei. 
And, and they said, that's him. And so no joke, I tested it on one of the first meetings. I, I said, well, well, what would you do if I did, the, you know, and I don't even remember what happened, but I was on the ground like this. And, and I'm like, okay, you're the teacher. I'll, I'll follow you. Um, and Jim was amazing. And I learned some things from Jim in class, but most of what I learned from Jim was actually at dinner afterwards. Because Jim was very, a very formidable, fierce man. He could do so much, but it was this controlled strength. And it was really confidence. And as he sat me down, and I was like, well, how do I... I we talked about Jason and, and this stuff, and he, he ended up talking to me about confidence more than what I could do with my hands or my feet. And, um, and I, just, I so appreciate that so much, um, you know, what he, what he did for me. Um, and so that's, that's what we learned when we set out. A lot of times we, we think we want one thing from a teacher or, or a leader or a mentor, but there's a core of what that person has. And as 21st century disciples, uh, we have to figure out what is it that we're supposed to learn from Jesus. As followers of him, as students of him, what are we supposed to be doing in this time, right? Because there's kind of a smorgasbord and kind of a, a buffet of, of things out there and ideas, even about Jesus and things that we can do and be. But Jesus was very clear about what people that follow him would be like. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. And there's a key question, and this was the question out of Matthew 11, verse 3, and it, it was asked of Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And so Jesus came on the scene and was changing all sorts of things. And, and yet this question was asked. And, and, you know, in other words, are you the one? Should we expect somebody else? And, and we today can surely say with perspective, he's the one. But it's still getting worked out, isn't it? And so let's pray as we go into the word today. God, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us and leads us. And we thank you that today you are not a far-off God or you are not a far-off person that barks instructions, but you are near. You are near to those that were with you as you walk this earth bodily, but you are near to us today. And so we as your students, we as your people, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each of us today, that each of us would receive instruction in how to live our life after you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so it was John that asked this question of Jesus about should we expect someone else? Because John had sacrificed a whole lot for Jesus and for the kingdom and what was happening. And so Jesus replies with this. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. So Jesus was saying, look, I don't know what else you would want to see But let me remind you of what's going on. And so in the same way that Jesus came on the scene and he didn't announce, hey, I'm the one. He did at different times as he answered questions. Some of it is language-based if we look into it. But what he did is he proclaimed the kingdom of God and then he demonstrated the kingdom of God. And as the one that ushered that in, he was the one. So just like then, you would expect to say, okay, well, give me evidence or proof. So it is that people have that question today. So the church, when people say, hey, if you are the people of God, what's the evidence? And so that's what we want to get to today, people, is we want to know what's the evidence, what are we supposed to be doing 
in the 21st century as followers of Jesus. What's Jesus doing now? And it's similar to what he did then. So the first thing we needed to to do is we need to make very sure and clear that we put our confidence in and reliance upon Jesus as the one to save us. Our confidence in reliance upon Jesus to save us. Because you say, well, well, yeah, 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 move on. We got that. But the water can get muddied, you know, pretty quick. Like out here, the water's not clear. It's mixing with the, you know, it came down clear and now it's mixing with the elements. So it can happen with the church. So it can happen with you and I. We need to be reminded that we put our full confidence and reliance upon Jesus to save us. I am saved, but I'm being saved. I was saved, but I need to be saved every day. I, not that it's repeated, as we talked about it was once, but, but I need to keep coming back with that heart, with that place of receiving from him and reliance upon him, that my confidence is in him, not in me. Romans 10, verse 9 through 10 says, If you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And you say to yourself, is this like a, like a chant? You can just say this and it's done. Is it like a, you know, is that what it's saying? No. What it's saying is, is the person that says this, and it's not, the power is not in the prayer. The power is in the intent of our hearts meeting up with what Jesus did. And so the person that says Jesus is Lord, what they're saying is saying that you're in the driver's seat, I'm in the passenger seat. You're now in charge. I give my life to you. You are Lord. Your kingdom come over my kingdom. And it says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So this isn't about a religious belief, but it's about what has been done and what's rejected as you say this. When you say this and surrender your life to Christ, you are rejecting the idea that you can save yourself. You are rejecting the idea that anything can happen, solidifying anything in this world for eternity outside of this. You're rejecting that. Because that's really, the New Testament teaches, what we're being saved from. Our sins, what we do, is the playing out of my Uh, my desire to save myself, to make my relationship right with God, myself, and with others. And so I reject that, and I accept this. That's the power. That's putting confidence in that when I do that. And that's why when you do that, you are saved. It's a real thing. And I, I remember, you know, I remember as a teenager doing this, you know, doing this and, and, and saying, you know, you, I accept what you've done. I didn't understand completely, and, and many of you have, have done that here. And, and, you know, there may be some of you today, you've been looking at what Jesus is like, and, and you say, hey, I'm ready for that, you know. Today's a good day. Today's a good day to do that. Confidence comes from believing and living the message of Jesus. So it's not just a, uh, it's not just a you know, I believe that, like, you know, I know it's true, or I believe it's true, but now I believe it. And now I live it out, right? It, it hits the street. First uh, John 1.5 says this. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So John, one of the first followers of Jesus, 
he laid out, he encapsulated the message of Jesus into this statement here. And we look at it and say, well, you know, I mean, what does it mean? Well, he's saying that this is God's universe and it's a good place to be. And Jesus has shown that. You know, it's uh, you're, you're, maybe your children, when the, like the thunder. There's been some thunder lately and storms. And, uh, you know, our kids don't really get scared anymore by that. But, you know, our dog, you know, freaks out. And so, you know, we enter into, like when our kids are little, into their room and say, it's okay. You're safe. You're in a safe place. And so when Jesus came, that's what John's saying. That's what Jesus did. He's saying, this is God's universe, and he's glad that you're here. He's glad that you're here. And what happens then is when I recognize that, I can now love God back. Because I'm, I'm no longer walking around clenched fear about what's good and what's right. I'm not trying to save myself. I recognize that God is love and he's created this world and now he's shown himself to me. Now I can love God back. What an amazing thing that we can now love him back. And a desire develops to be a disciple or a student of Jesus. I remember as I surrendered my life to Christ in my teens, in my early 20s, I had such a desire to, um, to do what he was doing and, and to, to share his word with people and, 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 and all sorts of things. And, and, and I still do. That's the thing. It's never fallen off. It's, it's, but my focus has gotten more and more narrow. I understand now what are, the, what are the biggest things that I need to focus on, which is the things that he's already doing. Right in the beginning, I thought of all these other things like God. We should do this, and we should do this, and we should do this. And He He loved that, and and, and He He joined me in those things. But but I realized I'm like, wait, let me just in, like let me join Him in what He's already doing. And so so that's that's what the follower of Jesus gets to do. What's um, What's important is for us to understand that as we put confidence and rely upon Jesus, we need to understand that this relationship that we have with Jesus, it's important to understand that he initiated the relationship with us as students. And that's what he always did. Uh, there was actually a saying amongst rabbis during Jesus' time, and it, it was this. It was, let the disciple pound on the door of the rabbi and sit on the doorstep of the rabbi. So it was this thing that you had to show yourself good enough to be the student of the rabbi. And the rabbis of the time would take the best of the best. If you wanted to be a student of a certain rabbi, you, you had to be the best of the best. And you had to pound on their door and, and you had to prove yourself that I'm of this caliber. Jesus did something totally different. And that's why the rabbis of the time said, who is this guy? I mean, look at his disciples. I mean, if you read the New Testament honestly, you know, some people say, I want to be like the disciples. No, you don't. Or, you know, I mean, or actually, we already are, right? You know, I mean, that's why we can have grace for ourselves. I mean, look at all the mistakes that they made. I mean, all the way up until Jesus' resurrection, you know, even as he ascended, he's like, let me be clear one more time. Even though I've sent you out and shown you this, all authority that's given to me, I give to you. Now go do it, right? He had shown them that over three years. They needed to be reminded again. So do we. And so, so Jesus choosing students and in, in, um, being the one that would go to people and say, follow me, that was totally just revolutionary. And so it is today. And he comes to us and he asks us to follow him as well. So what's important is for us to understand, what does believing and living the message of Jesus look like? 
right? Like authentically, what does that look like today in this world? Uh, Well, it's the same as back then, which is number one is to answer the call to follow Jesus. So John the Baptist pointed the way. Uh, John the Baptist had uh, followers, his own disciples. But then when Jesus came on the scene, John 136, we see when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the, and then when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So in other words, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. When they heard this, the, his disciples followed Jesus. Get it? So that's what any leader, if, if you feel like you're following any leader more than Jesus or you're connected there, that's okay. Remember, leaders create paths for us, but the path, you've got to consider where is it leading? The path has to lead to Jesus. And so for you today, the thing is, is just like John the Baptist, that's what this church is doing. It's we're saying, behold, the Lamb of God. That's what we wanted to do during community day, who takes away the sins of the world. Go to him. He is your leader. Follow after him. So John the Baptist started that. And then also, too, in that Jesus is a rabbi, to follow Jesus is to be a student. So John 1, 38 through 39, turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. I mean, let's just take that as, as today. That's pretty intimate. It's pretty intimate. I, I just want to come and be with you. And I just want to come and walk with you. And in the midst of our busy world, I think that's a great prayer to Jesus over and over again, not just once, but like, Jesus, where are you? You know, what are you doing? I just want to come and be with you there. I just, you know, in the, I know I've got things to do and I got a job and I got responsibilities and things, but can I, just, can I just be with you? He loves to answer that prayer. And also, too, the call was and is purposeful for disciples, so we've got to answer that. In Mark 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And so it is the call for you. And it's not a one-time call, but it's a consistent call time and time again. You see, the disciples, they followed Jesus closely for three years. But then as they lived out this gospel and they now became the body of Christ on earth and brought others in, you know, they all gave up their lives. Uh, you know, they were all martyred for their faith, you know, uh, besides John, right? John? Yeah. Um, And they felt the call then, right? I mean, as they sacrificed, as they gave up, as they they walked away from family and friends to share this, this gospel and walked around, and you look at Paul and Paul giving up his, that was the call. Yes, there was the Damascus Road experience where, where Jesus called to Paul and he had to surrender to that and, and go through that. But then what did, what did Jesus say to, uh, you know, to, um, to the disciple that came and prayed for him and he was healed? He says, I will show him what he must suffer for me. In other words, look, he's coming to me and he's going to have to answer this call time and time again. And that's a good read, too, how our relationship with Jesus is and following is, is that do I feel the call? And the call isn't a religious thing. It's a life thing. It's a partaking in the kingdom of God and that which is lasting. We should feel a constant call into that. Some of it is, is just being with him. And some of it, some of it is just serving and loving others. 
just playing it out. Have no doubt that when you feel compassion or you're moved for somebody or you see something that's needed, that's the call into God's kingdom and what he's doing. And then the next thing is so that we know what it looks like for a 21st century disciple to follow Jesus. The next thing is obedience. Obedience to the commands of Jesus. In John 14, he speaks a couple times. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. So obedience is key. And here's the thing. It's the love of Jesus in me that enables me to obey. It's not my own ability to obey. But as I'm loved by him, my response is obedience to him. In verse 21 of the same chapter, it says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So, so the goal is to learn how Jesus would live my life. Okay? As a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to learn how to live his life, but how would Jesus live my life? How would Jesus love my wife? How would Jesus uh, love my children? How would Jesus uh, pastor this church? That's for me personally. How would Jesus be a neighbor to my neighbors, right? Uh, and then for you, how, how would Jesus, you know, love your husband? Uh, how would Jesus do your job? How would Jesus deal with that difficult neighbor? That is how, what it means to follow after Jesus. It's, we make it so complicated. But how would Jesus do those things? Um, so the goal is to not be a professional religious person. Right? So, again, this is the locker room. This is, we come, we gather, but then it's, go, it's lived out, out there. So the heart of the disciple is the most important thing. It's not that we start abiding by certain religious rules and practices, but it's my heart that is the important thing. Um, there's several people in my life that, in my teens and early 20s, that really helped solidify what this meant to me. One was Doris, and Doris was um, in her late 80s. And I was a single guy, early 20s, living, I lived a, a, a block from the beach in Carlsbad, California. You know, I didn't even know how good I had it. But my apartment was here, and Doris's apartment was up here on the second or third floor in the same apartment complex. And she would park her car in front of my place. And so I got to talking to her one day, and you know, you've seen the people that have like the, um, the bobble dolls like on their dash and stuff. She didn't have that. She had like an altar. No joke. It was like the inside of a Catholic church. And she was, a, she was just a wonderful Catholic woman that loved Jesus. And so what I would do is she would come with her groceries. And, and so I, I would help her with her groceries up to her place. And um, she taught me this idea of obedience and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And it was just like, and she'd say, okay, well, um, now that we've helped me with the groceries, so, uh, you know, we're two or more gathered. Jesus is there, so let's pray. And so I'd sit, and, uh, and, and we'd just sit there and pray. And, but she just taught me. She's one of the people that taught me about heart and what it meant to follow after Jesus. The next thing that uh, we need to do as followers in the 21st century is to be transformed from the inside out. And this is harder than it looks, okay? Uh, it's like instructions. I, I, was, I was putting together something this week for the, for the church, a little cart to help people clean the church that are coming and stuff and put all the supplies on it and things. And, and there's two sets of bolts and screws. And, and I'm like, looks good enough. And you know, that must be that one. And so I put it all together with the wrong ones, right? And so uh, it, it, was, it was harder than I, than I thought. And so this is harder than that too, to be transformed from the inside out. 
Because in the same way, the activities that can help me transform the inside out can become outside activities that just give the appearance of being you know, that, that person after Jesus or being that. That's what's hard. Now, after a while, they're tested and you say, wow, I'm, you know, you know there's, I need more inside. Uh, Paul wrote it about this. He talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, what's important for us to know, so here's a, here's a, um, a focus so that we do not get focused on the outside, but we get focused on the inside. And if we do something on the outside, it's to affect the inside first. Is we need to realize like the fruit here is not the target. See, fruit comes from the root, right? So the root is what has to grow into the fruit. Make sense? Right? And so the root is the Holy Spirit in me. It's not the fruit of Cody. It's not the fruit of Cody like what Cody does that I produce this. We actually can't produce this fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The root is the Spirit in my life. So as I'm, like we talked about, obedient to Jesus, that opens up this root, this closeness with the Holy Spirit that what comes out of me is these things. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So also, too, think about the things that Jesus said. Like, um, you know, you've heard it say, do this, but I say do this. Right? And, and, and what he would say was just much more than what they said. See, Jesus would say, like, you know, love your friends and your families, but I say love your enemies. And anything that Jesus said like that, we can look and say, I'm going to do that. So I'm going to do. But the reason Jesus called us to stuff like that is to show us, because you say, well, that's impossible. How do I love my enemies? Yes, you and I, like in our natural state, like in, our, in, a, in a fallen state or, or, you know, in a rebellious state or a fleshly state, like in our own ability, there's no way, like, love my enemies? But you see, Jesus pointed to that so that we would come to the place of, oh, yeah, I, there's no way. I need you to come in from the outside and help me and change me. And so the, that would be the root, and then the fruit would come out of that. So it's, it's indirect. As I hang out with Jesus and I spend time with Jesus, as I receive from the Holy Spirit, I now become a person that, that can love. I now have joy in my heart, my life. Now peace is around me. There's forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But no one ever arrives. Right? That's why we have communion. You know, That's why grace is flowing. Grace just didn't flow on that cross, but it is still flowing. That's why we continue to need it as we you know, play that out with one another. Uh, also, too, what do we need to do is we need to participate in the mission and message of Jesus. So um, the difference between a spectator and participant, um, you know, I, I would go out and watch my sons play sports. We, uh, I'm probably at you know, half a dozen uh, games a week uh, or practices or different things for my, for my sons. And here's the deal. I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm a spectator. No matter how I get fired up at the, at the ref or, or something, he does something with my sons, or I'm a spectator at best. 
I played it at a period of time, and, and I, I was a part of that. But there's no such thing in the kingdom of God. There's, there's not spectator. It's just, it, it just doesn't happen. It's, it's participant or non-participant. It's joining in or pushing against. And so, spectator versus participant. Uh, you know, some, let me illustrate it more with this. So, uh, like with the news, okay, it's overwhelming, the things that are going on in the world. We, we have a, more of a, a cognitive demand upon our minds and what we know and how we're supposed to respond more than any time in history. Because if something horrible happens in India, I can know about it in a half an hour or less. And I say to myself, what do I do with that? And so with all this bombardment into our, into our being, we can become spectators in the world. And we can look, and, and you know, it creates a spectator idea in it instead of participants. And so a lot of times I just shut that stuff off. I'm like, hey, who's right in front of me? I'm going to participate in what God's doing right in front of me. So participants. Uh, another idea is, is that um, I had a friend... And for about 10 years, um, their family, they had a, a ranch, and uh, they found this really cool rock that was, uh, it's about this big, and uh, down in this riverbed. And for 10 years, this rock, they decided this would make a great doorstop. So they, they had this rock as a doorstop for all these years. And as, as we got to know them, this is like 2011, 2012, as we got to know them, one day they, somebody came to the house and said, that looks interesting. So they had it looked at. And it was actually a whale brain. It was actually a fossilized whale brain. And it, it, it was the only of its kind. There's nothing else. Because it was actually real brain material. Like it was, there's all these scientific terms, but it was, so this was this amazing, like, uh, you know, thing that had so much value to science and, and money and all kinds of stuff. And they used it as a doorstop. Isn't that amazing, right? Now we laugh and we say, how could you do that? But see, we can adopt that attitude as followers of Jesus. As we just spectate and look all around us. When as we look at what Jesus does, we are to do that too. This is what Jesus said he was here for. Luke 4, verse 18 through 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is what Jesus was doing and is doing. So out of this passage. So Jesus is healing the results of the kingdoms of Satan and man. This is an ongoing work. It's not done. Like you ever do a hard project, you dig a ditch, you, you do something, you clean up a mess. You just want to get done. You just want to get it done and get on. Guess what? What Jesus started is still going on. And as his followers, as his students, just like I learned from Jim about all sorts of different things, and I followed in his path, this is you and I. This is what it means to be a student or a follower of Jesus today, is to be a part of these things. So Jesus is healing the results of the kingdom of Satan and man. Still, you and I are a part of that. You are the deputized people of Jesus doing that now. So to preach the good news to the poor. So people are still impoverished today. So Jesus is good news to the poor. And this is not just... Uh, economically, but this is poverty of spirit, this is poverty of purpose, this is poverty of relationship. There's so much around us. 
that Jesus is, is bringing good news to. To proclaim freedom to the captives. So people are held captive today. Jesus sets people free today still. He still does it. He sets them free from the things that people have done to them. He sets them free from, all, um, from you know, there's a big push today. It's like, hey, slavery is still big today. Let's, let's, let's go after it. And people are being set free from slavery. Human trafficking, you know, all sorts. Let's set them free. I mean, it's so fun. It's so fun to set people free. Isn't it fun to set people free? I mean, if you've ever seen somebody set free, I've watched some videos online. And uh, I watched this one of this little girl in, in this family was going to, uh, uh, they, they were letting her know that they were adopting her. She was a, a foster child. And, um, and so they had to read this thing. And you just see that she was set free from this just abandonment and this life of am I okay, am I accepted, and, and you know, all sorts of things. And, and then you see, other, I've seen other videos, I saw this one, and, and, and uh, uh, they, they put certain glasses or something, and somebody had a surgery, I don't know exactly what it went, but it was cool. And, and they put it on, and they could see for the first time. And then I saw this other one, this guy, he was colorblind, and, and he was able to look out over this, like this big fall forest with the color, and he could see the colors for this time. That's what it's like, you guys, is setting people free from the darkness, setting people free from what they've been put into. And I've experienced that. I've been, I've, I've been set free from so much, and it's, it's from the church, it's from the body, the people that have done that as they partner with God. We get set free from that. I mean, that's so fun. I mean, to set people free. You know, what significance you have that you get to set people free. Recovery of sight to the blind. People are blinded, so Jesus restores sight today. To release the oppressed. People are oppressed. Jesus releases the oppressed today. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. People are set free. So Jesus ushers in a permanent age of release. That's the really coolest thing I want you to get. There's a permanent age of release. So the, the deal was within, within uh, the Jewish culture in Israel is that every seven years, um, you know, you would release things. Like if you had something of somebody else's or if they uh, had to sell something because they were in debt, they would release that in the seventh year. But, but then, but then it, and then, you know, it was for a certain period of time. But then there was the, the 50th year. And there was the year of Jubilee. And during the year of Jubilee, everything was released. Just, I mean, just, yep, you're released and you're, it was like Oprah. You know, it's like you're released and you're released and you're released and you're released and you get back what you had and you get back what you had. That's the age that we live in right now. And yet we get duped thinking that we don't have enough. We get duped thinking that like there's something else that has to happen. We are in the greatest age of all of history because God is releasing and bringing people back to him. Since the beginning of time, since the fall of humankind, Adam and Eve, you are right smack dab in the middle of the best time in all of history. That's news. That's important. That's what's going on all around you is God is setting people free, setting the oppressed free. And I know you guys take part in it. And yet God says, come on. Come on. Come on. Come in more. Come in deeper. Come and get more. So how do we do this? What does this look like, right? We don't want to just be on the surface. We want to be able to apply this. So the way we do this is we align our life with the mission and message of Jesus. So I align my life with him. 
Um, I've done several building projects with my dad over the years, and even as an adult, and he built a barn about, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago or so and, in Colorado, and so I helped him, and, and so I got out there, and I knew what we were going to do first, uh, and, and we just, we sat there, and I remember as a kid, this pole, you know, and so we sat there with this pole, because it, it was a V barn, so that when the wind and the snow came in from a certain direction, it would go, it would go around this way, and, and the horses would be, you know, safe and warm and everything. And, and so we just sat there with this pole and we dug the, the hole and, and the pole and he sat there with his level and, and this thing had to be perfect. Just perfect. And I knew why. I didn't have to ask questions like anyone. It's like, it's okay already. Just do it. It's set. But no, we sat there and so I would hold it and he's moving dirt and getting, you know, before the concrete goes in and get it right, exactly right. Perfect. Why? Because everything else lines up on it. If that's square, if that's the way it's supposed to be, then everything else can line up and it will be that way too. So it is with Jesus. And so it is with you and I. That's why Jesus is the cornerstone. I make Jesus the cornerstone of my life and I line up on him. And it, it ripples out into my marriage. It ripples out into my relationship with my kids. It ripples out into every relationship possible. In all that I do, I line my life with him because he is perfect. And so it is, then I line up from there. So how do we do this? Well, James 2.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The biggest revolution within the church and people coming to know Jesus throughout the world right now is, um, is what they're calling discipleship movements. Okay, discipleship-making movements. And what it is, is, is it's this, is... Um, it's just Christians meeting somebody in the community uh, you would call a person of peace. They can be a current Christian or not. They could be, but they're open to what God wants to do. And it's somebody that then would be able to gather other people. This is happening all over the world. It's ha- people in the United States are starting to figure this out too. And, and eventually I'd love for us, I, I'd like to train some of you to do this in your neighborhoods and places of work and people as well. But it's, it's simply this, is you... You have a person, and so you get together with that person, and they invite other people and th- that aren't Christians. And what they do is they get together and they read, they read the Gospels. They read, like, Jesus saying stuff. And they, have, they, don't, they don't teach, but they let the Word of God speak. And they get together and they say, what do you see here? When these people, right, not Christians, not raised in the church, well, I, I see this. okay. And, and right, and so the Holy Spirit speaks through his word, and so, and so they hear it, and they say, well, then what do we need to do? And then the focus is to obey it, right? Just like James says, don't be just a hearer. Be a, and here's what's happening, is thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus, and they have a real relationship with Jesus just through reading the word and then obeying what he says. See, now it has to work back into the church, into you and I. Right? Because they have very little information. And it's very simple. Well, I, hey, this guy, Jesus, he's kind of a big deal. I'm going to do what he says. And it's spreading like wildfire. Very simple. That's the actual way that people are coming to know Jesus in the world today. That's what God's doing. So we need to be intentional, okay? Like that's an intentional way. So if you want to partake in what God's doing and you align your life, be intentional about it. So 
You don't have to create a big crusade and a big thing and do whatever, but be intentional. So today, who, who do you know that is captive? Who do you know that's blind in any way? Who do you know that needs to be set free? Who do you know that's oppressed? Who do you know that has hurt and pain in their life? Who do you know? Well, be intentional about loving that person. It's that simple. And love them with the love of Jesus that you've received. And then two, be risky. Be risky, right? I mean, we love the stories of the Bible. We love David with his slingshot. And I mean, David didn't just go like, man, I sure hope these things hit him. You know? I mean, like you and I. I mean, we, I, I don't know. I, but get out there. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go. And he's looking for the exit. David gets out there and he says, you are this. And I'm, gonna, I'm not only going to take you down, but I'm going to take my sword and cut off your head and go after you. And he, like, what is he doing when he does that? He's being risky. He's raising the faith level. So that there's an environment for God's power to come versus man's power. See, when we're risky, you guys, when we get out of our comfort zones and love people that aren't like us and, and we walk across the street to our neighbor and do different things and, and we share words that maybe God's speaking to us, all, when we do that, we raise the faith level so that God can do things versus just us doing something. So it's very simple in that love the person in front of you, but do risky stuff. Serve in ways that are just overwhelming loving. Ask questions that other people wouldn't ask. Be risky. And then just the last thing is be available. So be intentional, be risky, be available. That's how we align our life with Jesus and what he's doing so we can partake in this. So people are asking today too, you guys, you know, Jesus Day, John said, you know, should we expect another? They're asking today too. You know, they... they they need help. They want life in, in the world today. And they're asking, well, you know, should we look for somebody else? Should we look for another group that can change the world? Now, they're asking that. And there's this poem from Teresa of Avila. It says this, Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good, and yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. So let's stand together as we worship.